Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 18th, 2015. I stated years ago that if you really want truth, an easy thing to say, isn't it? I want truth. But if you want truth, it's like jumping out of an aircraft at a very high height and jump out with a parachute and free fall because getting truth in any age is bad enough. Never mind today, where you have total information network systems, massive propaganda systems, and all media on board with it all, of course, depending on which country you happen to be living in at the time. So we're living in incredible networks of deception, which are authorized by the state. And then you have the other ones, which are still authorized by the state, that pretend to come from another uh, level, basically. Because remember, the whole idea of this world order, as it's called, and everyone's used the darn term. It's not crazy at all to use it, because it's always been used down through history in mainstream history books and universities, depending on the year you live in, because there's different kinds of balances of power, as you call it, which creates the world order for that particular age. And we've had many, many quotes given to us in the 20th century into the 21st century to do with world order. There's only one side at the very top that controls the two supposedly opposing forces. There's no doubt about that in my mind. That's one thing that I have concluded. But as I say, it's a difficult thing getting truth from any side, any authorized side, because they're all tainted to an extent. We are tainted. Our logic is tainted with our indoctrinations. Very cleverly indoctrinated uh, people live... Well, we're all incredibly indoctrinated today because it's been done so perfectly. Bertrand Russell talked about that in the 1940s and 50s with scientific techniques for the age of scientific control and expert control of the populace, then they couldn't fail. If they get the children young enough, when the type of scientific indoctrination, now they call them toolkits for teachers and things, the way you put things across, then you can't fail. The, the, new, the new indoctrination will take, this, this kind of an, an injection takes, an inoculation, it will take in the psyche of the indoctrinated, you see. And they'll disregard whatever anyone older than them says to them, except for the teachers. So we live in a, truly in a scientifically controlled system. And that's been always been the goal uh, from, for a very long time of the groups that used to form uh, the high elite that owned all the trading routes in the world, merchant bankers all in it together, all media, media of course, uh, worked together, and those who created empires leading to the global empire. And believe you me, there's no difference really where they call it a left-wing one that gets the final spike in, in, in the laying down the tracks, or if it's right-wing, it's the same. The guys who control them are the same boys at the top, the same quiet clubs at the very, very top. That's how bad it really is. And I've gone through a lot of the history of this over the years, going to cuttingthroughmatrix.com.
website. You can go to the archives and listen to a lot of the talks. This top um, daily broadcasters use my stuff every day. You'll hear them using the same terms I came up with and so on, and they'll, they'll, they part them off. So there's a, a wealth of uh, information there to do with following all of this, this system that we live in, this deceptive system. Now remember, too, that with your indoctrination, you are already geared towards accepting certain types of propaganda, mainly from your own countries. And whether you like it or not, you're complicit to an extent in what's happening in the world by your silence. There is such a thing as collective punishment. And silence aids and abets that too. Everyone votes, or those who do vote, I should say, not everyone votes, but those who do vote are well aware, deep within themselves, that nothing ever changes for the, for the better for themselves. Special interest groups are different. They're all funded at the top and by your own government and by the private foundations that have more say in the world uh, than in any government that I know of. Because they, they're really owned by the corporations, you see. So we live in a very deceptive system. And as I say, you, you find the right-wing uh, propaganda pieces, the left-wing propaganda pieces, and you have to sift through it all. But you must never forget what you've learned in your own lifetime. And what do you expect to see? For instance, I mean, Canada is, is up for its election shortly, and you've got different candidates running. And uh, I think it's the, the National Democratic Party that's a bit left of Karl Marx uh, who are out for change. Remember the, the slogan that was given by Obama? The change is good. Remember, this is a century of change. Those in academia are well aware of it, that for the 21st century, the whole world agenda was to be implemented and obtained by the end of it. But all through it, too, there been massive changes all through the 21st century for globalism. So they're, they're, they're quite aware in universities at the top what it's all about and, and their particular role in making it all happen. So you have the NDP uh, with change, and then you have the Liberal Party with the son of uh, Pierre Trudeau running for the Liberals in Canada. And uh, remember, Pierre Trudeau himself uh, started off as a communist. He worked for Comintern. He, he was the head for Canada. And in 1952, he, he led the delegation for Canada to Russia for the Young Comintern Association. He became Prime Minister of Canada. And Canada went pretty well down the hill from then. But he helped to create the massive debt in, his, in the process. And that was part of the agenda, too, on behalf of the elite. As I say, there's only one elite that runs the world. And they use a dialectical process. Because once countries get into debt, then your country is no longer its master. And they have to go cap in hand, often to foreigners, and ask them for handouts and cash and all the rest of it. And then you bring in the international boys that are set up by one group again, such as the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the Bank for International Settlements. And it just goes on from there. When you have to go cap in hand to these organizations, you no longer run the country yourselves. Those who simply vote left-wing because... Again, they've been indoctrinated to do so by their families or, or where they see as a class background or their duty as a class background 
are still in bewilderment as to why Obama has simply continued the same agenda completely as the neocons that were in before him, you see. And it's quite easy to explain because the same bunch still run the, the, the Liberal Party in the U.S., the Democratic parties and so on. There's only one party, to say, at the top. I read the article live on the air when Rumsfeld congratulated Obama for continuing the neocon agenda, the project for New American Century, with the continuing list of, of countries to be taken out across the Middle East, which was actually published back in the 90s uh, for the first time. But they pretty well succeeded, except for Syria, hadn't finished it off, and Iran too. Now, as I've said, to get to any kind of truth, even close to any kind of truth, you have to look at all, again, sides, quote, sides, you see. And I've mentioned some of John Pilger's articles in the past, and this is an article from 26th of February 2015 that he did. Remember, he, he's far left as well. He's done awfully good stuff at the same time, good information, but remember where he's coming from too, because he's very politically correct when he talks about anything, because he's all for, the, 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 for elevating other peoples above others and things like that and so on. I look at war, and to be honest with you, everyone gets slaughtered. I, I don't separate them up in any groups. I say, you've got a mass of folks slaughtered. No one's better than anybody else. But he does go into this in this article into fascism. Something, again, that even during the fascistic times, people didn't really understand that well. We always think of fascism uh, with uh, leaders all dressed up in uniforms. But, but today, fascism uh, is run by the business suit and, and so on. That, that's what you see in television all the time. But it's what they do when they're in, you see. That's important. Remember, too, that <laughs> the true history of Britain uh, was big, big corporations from the time of Queen Elizabeth the first time, and East India Company, and other companies formed after that, that, that ran and, and controlled all the trade that came in and out of the country. And that gave rise to the empire building, as these big monopolies wanted to have their resources in all the different countries. Uh, and they, they'd plundered them, but they went in to free them and, of course, give them democracy and all the same stuff you hear today. And, and to civilize them, you see, and to tax the, uh, the dirt up from underneath them. But nothing changes, folks. You can live in a fascist system and be awfully proud of it. And it never dawns on you that you're actually in fascism. It never dawns on you at all. Because you're fed nothing but lies, you see. And the boys that give you the lies are awfully good making sure that you never know that, yeah, even when you're in the greatest depression, financial depression in your country, it's because you've been taxed to the hilt to pay for all the armies to go across the world. You've paid for all their munitions, all their missiles and everything else, uh, so that your big corporations can take, suck out oil or minerals or, whatever, or gold or silk, whatever it is they're after. Uh, so they always end up benefiting from them. The U.S. is no different. No different at all. The only difference is they've had better indoctrination being a newer country and they don't have an older past to go back to uh, to, to see uh, what ran them prior to that. So they think they started off with their, with their rebellion for the good and all the rest of it, but they don't realize how fast they, would, they would ended up being exactly the same 
as, as for instance, uh, Britain's uh, superpower and how they accumulated their wealth. Not the average person in the street, but the big international corporations. A, a, a land of massive monopolies. Now, this Pilger article goes into... Uh, he talks about the Nazis, because, again, most people think, first of all, that the Nazis were the fascists, but actually it was Mussolini and, and uh, in Italy that, that really that the term was first used for fascism. And they also used it, I think, too, with the General Franco in Spain. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, you can be, you can under, when it comes to totalitarianism under what they want to call fascism or communism, it's much the same thing, believe you me. Same techniques are used completely. And there's always a small group controlling the vast masses and making sure you get the right indoctrination to believe in that you're doing all the right things for the good of the country and so on. That's human nature. But he, he says here, had the Nazis not invaded Europe at Auschwitz, the Holocaust wouldn't have happened. Had the U.S. and its satellites not initiated their war of aggression in Iraq in 2003, almost a million people would be alive today. And the Islamic State, or ISIS, would not have as an enthrall to its savagery. They are the progeny of modern fascism, uh, weaned by the bombs, bloodbaths, and lies that are the surreal theater known as news. And that's all true. It's just, all news is theater today. That's why the, that there are no opposing mainstream stories on anything. There are no investigative journalists, and the few that maybe will, will, could have a crack at being so uh, dare not do it, or they're fired. So, like the fascism of the 30s and 40s, the big lies are delivered with the precision of a metronome. Thanks to an omnipresent, repetitive media and its virulent uh, censorship by omission, it says, take the catastrophe in Libya. And again, too, I wonder how many folk were so shocked at what was going on in Libya uh, and the lead up to it and all the rest of it, because uh, Gaddafi, really, I mean, he was investing in all the Western, uh, with, with the Western countries in tandem. He lost all his cash, of course, because he stole it from him, same as he did in Iraq, too. And it never really explained where it all went, of course. But that's another story. But it says here, in 2011, NATO launched 9,700 strike sorties. That's with the aircraft against Libya. 9,700. Against the, of which more than a third were aimed at civilian targets. Where's the cries of Holocaust there? You know, isn't it? How, we've got to start using this all the time, but it doesn't matter who's getting slaughtered. Since uranium warheads were used, the cities of uh, Miserata and Sirti were carpet bombed. The Red Cross identified mass graves, and UNICEF reported that most of the children killed were under the age of 10. And they had this, everybody in the West again cheering it on, cheering it on. So was, there was some equal kind of battle raging somewhere. But what a farce. This is the public sodomizing of the Libyan President Muammar Gaddafi with a so-called rebel bayonet was greeted by the then U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton with the words, we came, we saw, he died, and they all laughed, of course. And just to stop for a second here, I've said here that you better understand who's in charge of you. The kind of psychopaths that are in charge of you. And I said years ago, but I knew the agenda was going to kick off in 2001, 
And I said on the air that, uh, uh, I said, you'll never find truth again. Yes, you won't find it. But I also said, too, that the big, if you unleash this big military industrial complex eating machine across the world, it will come right round eventually when there's nothing left to eat and it'll eat up its own at home. And that's happening now. Anyway, he says, his murder, like the destruction of his country, was justified with a familiar big lie. He was planning a supposed genocide against his own people. We knew that if we waited one more day, said President Obama, Benghazi, a city the size of Charlotte, could suffer a massacre that would have reverberated across the region and stained the conscience of the world. Again, absolute lies. This was the fabrication of Islamist militias facing defeat by Libyan government forces. They told Reuters there would be a real bloodbath, a massacre like we saw in Rwanda. Reported March the 14th, 2011, the lie provided the first spark for NATO's inferno, described by David Cameron as a humanitarian intervention. Now remember, these guys are really lying their, their, their teeth off because they know exactly that this was an agenda going way back at least to the 90s. Every country that was on uh, the New American Century's list has been under attack or it's completely destroyed already. And once they make their little list up to destroy, they, they don't change it. It says, secretly supplied and trained by Britain's Special Air Service, many of the rebels, quotation marks, would become ISIS, whose latest video offering shows the beheading of 21 Coptic Christian workers seized in Sirte, the city destroyed on their behalf by NATO bombers. And it says, for Obama, David Cameron, and then French President Nicolas Sarkozy, Gaddafi's true crime was Libya's economic independence and buy it what really was. It really, really was. You can't have that. He didn't have to go cap in hand to any IMF or World Bank and be under their dictates, you see. He says, and his declared intention to stop selling Africa's greatest oil reserves in U.S. dollars. The petrodollar is a pillar of American imperial power. Gaddafi audaciously planned to underwrite a common African currency backed by gold establish an all-Africa bank, and promote economic union amongst poor countries with prized resources. Where or not this would have happened, the very notion was intolerable to the U.S. as it prepared to enter Africa and bribe African governments with military so-called partnerships. Following NATO's attack under cover of a Security Council resolution, Obama wrote to Gariki Chengu, confiscated $30 billion from Libya's central bank, uh, which Gaddafi had earmarked for the establishment of an African central bank and the African gold-backed dinar currency. The humanitarian war against Libya drew on a model close to Western liberal hearts, especially in the media. In 1999, Bill Clinton and Tony Blair sent NATO to bomb Serbia because they lied the Serbs were committing genocide against ethnic Albanians in the secessionist province of Kosovo. David Sheffer, U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for War Crimes, claimed that as many as 225,000 ethnic Albanian men aged between 14 and 59 might have been murdered. That was the big lie, you see. 
Both Clinton and Blair evoked the Holocaust and the spirit of the Second World War. The West's heroic allies were the Kosovo Liberation Army, KLA, whose criminal record was set aside. The British Foreign Secretary Robin Cook told them to call him any time on his mobile phone. He told the crews to do it. With NATO bombing over and much of Serbia's infrastructure and ruins, along with schools, hospitals, monasteries and the national TV station, international forensic teams descended upon Kosovo to exhume evidence of the Holocaust. The FBI failed to find a single mass grave and went home. The Spanish forensic team did the same, its leaders angrily denouncing a semantic uh, pirouette by the war propaganda machines. A year later, United Nations Tribunal on Yugoslavia announced the final count of the dead in Kosovo at 2,788. This included combatants on both sides and Serbs and Roma murdered by the KLA. There was no genocide. The Holocaust was a lie. The NATO attack had been fraudulent. Now, you always get that when they go and attack. Always, always, always. Behind the lie, there was a serious purpose. Yugoslavia was a uniquely independent, multi-ethnic federation that serves a political and economic bridge in the Cold War. Most of its utilities and major manufacturing was publicly owned. This was not acceptable to the expanding European community, the EU Parliament, especially in new United Germany, which had begun a drive east to capture its natural market in the Yugoslav provinces of Croatia and Slovenia. By the time uh, Europeans met at Maastricht in 1991 to lay their plans for the disastrous Eurozone, a secret deal had been struck. Germany would recognize Croatia. Yugoslavia was doomed. That's how far back that went. In Washington, the U.S. saw that the struggling Yugoslav economy was denied World Bank loans. NATO, then an almost defunct Cold War relic, was reinvented as imperial enforcer. At a 1999 Kosovo peace conference in Rambouillet in France, uh, the Serbs were subjected to the enforcer's uh, duplicitous tactics. The Rambouillet uh, Accord included a secret Annex B, which the U.S. delegation inserted on the last day. This demanded the military occupation of the whole of Yugoslavia, a country with bitter memories of the Nazi occupation, with the implementation of a free market economy, quotation marks, and the privatization of all government assets, now publicly owned, this generally means belongs to the people. They want to privatize them all, the whole world's getting privatized, as you well know. No sovereign state could sign this. Punishment followed swiftly. NATO bombs fell on a defenseless country. It was a precursor to the catastrophes in Afghanistan and Iraq, Syria, Libya, and Ukraine. Since 1945, more than a third of the membership of the United Nations, 69 countries have suffered some or all of the following at the hands of America's modern fascism. They've been invaded, their governments overthrown, their popular movements suppressed, their elections subverted, their people bombed, and their economies stripped of all protection. Their societies subjected to a crippling siege known as sanctions. The British historian Mark Curtis estimates the death toll in the millions in every case. A big lie was deployed to get it all started. That's what he means. And he says, um, here's, here's another bit of propaganda. He says, tonight for the first time since 9-11, our combat mission in Afghanistan is over. These were the opening words of Obama's 2015 State of the Union address. 
In fact, some 10,000 troops and 20,000 military contractors, and that's mercenaries, remain in Afghanistan on an indefinite assignment. The longest war in American history is coming to a responsible conclusion, said Obama. In fact, many civilians were killed in Afghanistan in 2014, or more of them were, than in any year since the United Nations took records. The majority have been killed, civilians and soldiers, during Obama's time as president. The tragedy of Afghanistan rivals the epic crime in Indochina and has lauded in much quoted book The Grand Chessboard, American Primacy and its Geostrategic Imperatives by Zygmunt Brzezinski, the godfather of U.S. policies from Afghanistan to the present day. That was the whole new American century idea. I remember, too, I put up links before where you'll see uh, a younger Brzezinski back in the 70s uh, over in Afghanistan talking to the jihadists and telling them we're going to have a holy war, a holy war against against the Russians at that time. That's what kicked off the whole idea of the system that became Al-Qaeda, which is an American asset, you see. That's why they still fund them to this day under the different guises. Anyway, it says, writes that Afghanistan, if America is to control Eurasia and dominate the world, it cannot sustain a popular democracy. That's very interesting, isn't it? If America is to control Eurasia and dominate the world, <laughs> it cannot sustain a popular democracy because the pursuit of power is not a goal that commands popular passion. Democracy is inimical to imperial mobilization. And he's right. As WikiLeaks and Edward Snowden have revealed, a surveillance and police state is usurping democracy. In 1976, Brzezinski, then President Carter's national security advisor, demonstrated his point by dealing a death blow to Afghanistan's first and only democracy. Who knows this vital history? It's all been kind of wiped out, hasn't it? In the 1960s, a popular revolution swept Afghanistan, the poorest country on earth, eventually overthrowing the vestiges of the aristocratic regime in 1978. The People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan formed a government and declared a reform program that included the abolition of feudalism, freedom for all religions, equal rights for women, and social justice for the ethnic minorities. More than 13,000 political prisoners were freed, and police files publicly burned. The new government introduced free medical care for the poorest. Uh, Peonage was abolished. A mass literacy program was launched. For women, women, the gains were unheard of. By the late 1980s, half the university students were women. And women made up almost half of Afghanistan's doctors, a third of civil servants, and the majority of teachers. Every girl, recalled Sarah Nurani, a female surgeon, could go to high school and university. We'd go where we wanted and wear what we liked. We used to go to cafes in the cinema to see the latest Indian film on a Friday and listen to the latest music. It all started to go wrong when the Mujahideen started winning. They used to kill teachers and burn schools. We were terrified. It was funny and sad to think these were the people the West supported. Same thing is happening today, isn't it? The PDPA government was backed by the Soviet Union, even though, as former Secretary of State Cyrus Vance later admitted, there was no evidence of any Soviet complicity in the revolution. 
Alarmed by the growing confidence of liberation movements throughout the world, Brzezinski decided that if Afghanistan was to succeed under the PDPA, its independence and pro- progress would offer the threat of a promising example that others might follow, in other words. You see? Can't have that. As I said earlier, remember, they couldn't have um, a democratic regime. You see? In his own book, he said that. On July the 3rd, 1979, the White House secretly authorized uh, support for tribal fundamentalist groups known as the Mujahideen, a program that grew to over $500 million a year in U.S. arms and other assistance. The aim was to overthrow of Afghanistan's first secular reformist government. In August 1979, the U.S. Embassy in Kabul reported that the United States' larger interests would be served by the demise of the popular government. Despite whatever setbacks this might mean for future social and economic reforms in Afghanistan, the Mujahideen were the forebears of Al Qaeda and, and the Islamic State, ISIS, you know, ISIS or ISIS. They included uh, Gulbuddin uh, Hikmatyar, who received tens of millions of dollars in cash from the CIA. Hikmatyar's speciality was trafficking in opium and throwing acid in the faces of women who refused to wear the veil. Invited to London, he was lauded by Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher as a freedom fighter. Such fanatics might have remained in their tribal world had Brzezinski not launched an international movement to promote Islamic fundamentalism in Central Asia and so undermine secular political liberation and destabilize the Soviet Union, creating, as he wrote in his autobiography, a few stirred-up Muslims he says, his grand uh, plan coincided with the ambitions of the Pakistani dictator, General Zhu al-Haq, to dominate the region. In 1986, the CIA and Pakistani's intelligence agency, the ISI, began to recruit people from around the world to join the Afghan Jihad. The Saudi multimillionaire Osama bin Laden was one of them. Operatives who would eventually join the Taliban and Al-Qaeda were recruited at an Islamic college in Brooklyn in the U.S. and given paramilitary training at a CIA camp in Virginia. This was called Operation Cyclone. Its success was celebrated in 1996 when the last PDPA president of Afghanistan, Mohammed Najibullah, who'd gone before the United Nations General Assembly, Assembly to plead for help, was hanged from a streetlight by the Taliban. The blowback of Operation Cyclone and its so-called few stirred-up Muslims was September 11, 2001. Operation Cyclone became the War on Terror, in which countless men, women and children would lose their lives across the Muslim world, from Afghanistan to Iraq, Yemen, Somalia and Syria. The enforcer's message was and remains, you are with us or against us. The common thread in fascism, past and present, is mass murder. The American invasion of Vietnam had its free fire zones, body counts and collateral damage. In the province of Quang Nha, where I reported from, many thousands of civilians called gooks, of course, were murdered by the U.S. Here only one massacre at My Lai is remembered. In Laos and Cambodia, the greatest aerial bombardment in history produced an epoch of terror marked today by the spectacle of joined-up bombs 
uh, and the craters from the air, bomb craters, resemble and they resemble mos- uh, monstrous necklaces. The bombing gave Cambodia its own ISIS, led by Pol Pot. And this article is really long, and I'm going to put it up tonight for those who want to. But remember, too, he's left-wing as well, and he misses a lot of things out, too. As I say, everyone's logic is tainted by their indoctrination to an extent. Uh, whereas I look across the board, and I make no exceptions, really. Uh, if I see the same thing happening everywhere, no matter what countries are elevated and which ones are not, uh, if they're doing the same darn things, then they're, they're just as guilty. So I'll put this up tonight now, and we'll go on to this article, because one hour is not very much time, is it at all? And by the way, I'm really busy uh, getting all the work done for winter. It's already here winter. I've been living with quite a few nights now for the last week or so in sub-zero temperatures. It was snowing a bit today, and uh, it's crazy global warming, you know, and... Um, it's going to be a nasty, nasty, nasty winter. I mean, I was putting the heat on in the beginning of June. So I only had uh, a couple of weeks in June where I didn't need it. Then July and August and September. And so that, that was it. That was it. Now you're back into using... Can you imagine when we're all paying our, our carbon taxes and our fuel taxes and our energy taxes and you're living in a country like this? That's going to cause mass exodus, basically, as folk are forced to move. That's all planned as well. Now, this article is called The Impulsiveness of U.S. Power. It's by Paul Craig Roberts. And again, like most folk who've been indoctrinated to or even worked with government, they all have their flaws as well and indoctrinations. But he says an awful lot of good truth here, you know, or closer truth, put that way. He says, Washington's impulsive use of power is a danger to America and the world. Arrogant Washington politicians and crazed neoconservatives are screaming that the U.S. must shoot shoot down Russian aircraft that are operating against the U.S.-supplied forces that have brought death and destruction to Syria, unleashing millions of refugees in Europe in Washington's effort to overthrow the Syrian government. And this shows you too, I mean, he says, listen to this, even my former CSIS colleague, Zygmunt Brzezinski, normally a sensible, sometimes misguided person, as he really is a trilateralist, CFR boy, top, we top, these are the guys that run uh, this whole global agenda. He says, has written in the Financial Times that Washington should deliver an ultimatum to Russia to cease and desist from military actions that directly affect American assets. So American assets are the ISIS group, you see. There's just Al-Qaeda dressed up again. By American assets, Brzezinski means the jihadist forces that Washington has sicked, I mean set upon, Syria. And it gives you that, the link to that too. There's many articles out on that too that was admitted to. Brzezinski's claim that Russia must work with and not against the U.S. in Syria is false. The fact of the matter is that the U.S. must work with, not against Russia on Syria, as Russia controls the situation and is in accordance with international law and is doing the right thing. Ash Carter, the U.S. Secretary for War, repeats Brzezinski's demand. He declared that Washington is not prepared to cooperate with Russia's tragically flawed and mistaken strategy that frustrates Washington's illegal attempt to overthrow the Syrian government with military violence. Now it's from The Guardian. I'll put a link up for that too. 
Washington's position is that only Washington decides and that Washington intends to unleash yet more chaos on the world in the hope that it reaches Russia. So I guess no one in hubristic and arrogant Washington was listening when Putin said in his UN speech on September the 28th, We can no longer tolerate the state of affairs in the world. The terrible state of affairs is the chaos that Washington has brought to the Middle East. Chaos that threatens to expand into all countries with Muslim populations and chaos from which millions of refugees are flooding into Europe. And that's what the boys that really run America and control it all want, of course. Not satisfied with threatening Russia with war, Washington is prepared to send uh, or preparing to send U.S. Navy ships inside the 12 nautical mile territorial limit of islands created by China's land reclamation projects. The Navy Times reports that three Pentagon officials have said on background that approval of the mission is imminent. So here we have the U.S. government gratuitously and provocatively threatening two nuclear powers. The Washington warmongers try to pretend that land reclamation is an act of regional aggression and that Washington is just upholding international law by protecting freedom of navigation. By freedom of navigation, Washington means Washington's ability to control all sea lanes. After all of Washington's violations of international law and war crimes during the last 14 years, Washington's claim to be protecting international law is hilarious. Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, former director of the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency, the Pentagon's intelligence organization, said that Washington needs to understand that Russia also has foreign policy. Russia also has a national security strategy and stop crossing Russia's red lines. And that link to that's here too. So, Russia has to go in there. Never mind it's the right thing to do to stop folk getting slaughtered but, and overthrowing a, a nation. Remember, under the United Nations treaties, it didn't matter what kind of government, because there were many kinds of governments, not everyone's so-called democracy uh, and democratic, and, and probably never will be. So therefore, you remember too that under the UN agreements and so on, all the treaties, you can't just go and overthrow countries when you want to because you don't like them or because you've got some other agenda in mind. You just can't do it. It's an act of war. Now here's another article too. And it says, Brzezinski, Obama should retaliate if Russia doesn't stop attacking U.S. assets. Assets. This private massive mercenary force that's slaughtering everybody else and getting funded by the U.S. And you've seen the beheadings and all the rest of it. Uh, uh, This is a... It says here, the United States should threaten to retaliate if Russia doesn't stop attacking U.S. assets in Syria. Former National Security Advisor Zygmunt Brzezinski wrote in Financial Times, this guy should be up for, for war crimes, I'm telling you. For, the, the amount of chaos he's caused uh, in his lifetime across the planet is just incredible. Anyway, this is what Brzezinski wrote in the Financial Times op-ed uh, uh, published Sunday, urging strategic boldness with American credibility in the Middle East and the region itself at stake. 
Moscow's apparent decision to strike non-Islamic state targets and those of Syrian rebels backed by the Central Intelligence Agency at best reflects Russian military incompetence and worst evidence of a dangerous desire to highlight American political impotence, wrote Brzezinski. The National Security Advisor for former President Jimmy Carter and a strong supporter of current uh, President Barack Obama. And if Russia continues to pursue non-ISIL targets, the U.S. should retaliate, he added. In these rapidly unfolding circumstances, the U.S. has only one real option if it is to protect its wider stakes in the region. To convey to Moscow the demand that it cease and desist from military actions that directly affect American assets, he said. The Russian naval and air presence in Syria are vulnerable, isolated graphically, Geographically from their homeland, Brzezinski noted, they could be disarmed if they persist in provoking the U.S. The problem in the Middle East is bigger than Syria, Brzezinski wrote, and it would behoove Russia to cooperate with the U.S., who cannot, as it did in the past, rely upon the United Kingdom and France to play a decisive role in the region. But better still, Russia might be persuaded to act with the U.S. in seeking a wider accommodation to a regional problem that, descend, that transcends the interests of a single state, he added. Instead of what he calls a new form of neocolonial domination, the United States, along with China and Russia, must act in concert to protect their mutual interests, he warned. China would doubtless prefer to stay on the sidelines. It might calculate that it will then be in a better position to pick up the pieces, but the regional chaos could easily spread northwards, eventually engulfing central and northeastern Asia. Both Russia and then China could be adversely affected, but American interests and America's friends, not to mention regional stability, would also suffer. It is time therefore for strategic boldness, he concluded. Uh, so, and then this article actually goes on by Brzezinski, where he says Russia must work with nor against the U.S. and Syria, and... Uh, it's got different quotes from there too, of course. It's, again, it's fairly long, so I'll leave it for you to read yourselves. I'll put the links up tonight. Then back to Paul Craig Roberts, and he says, A decisive shift in the power balance has occurred. And it says, The world is beginning to realize that a sea change in world affairs occurred on September 28th, when President Putin of Russia stated in his UN speech that Russia can no longer tolerate Washington's vicious, stupid and failed policies that have unleashed chaos, which is engulfing the Middle East and now Europe. Two days later, Russia took over the military situation in Syria and began the destruction of the Islamic State forces. Perhaps amongst Obama's advisors, there are few who are not drowning in hubris and can understand the sea change. Sputnik News reported that some high-level security advisors to Obama have advised him to withdraw U.S. military forces from Syria and give, give up his plan to overthrow Assad. They advised Obama to cooperate with Russia in order to stop the refugee flow. That's overwhelming Washington's vassals in Europe, as European countries. Why would you want to cause all this? He's understand it's a big, big players above all this. He's understand they want this to happen. Who benefits from all? Because there's a big agenda here. The influx of unwanted people is making Europeans aware of high cost of enabling U.S. foreign policy. It's going to have permanent uh, <laughs> effects forever. <laughs> Believe you me, advisors have told Obama that the idiocy of the new conservatives' policies threaten Washington's empire in Europe. 
Several commentators such as Mike Whitney and Stephen Lendman have concluded correctly that there is nothing that Washington can do about Russian actions against Islamic State. The neoconservatives' plan for a UN no-fly zone over Syria in order to push out the Russians is, is a pipe dream. No such resolution will come out of the UN. Indeed, the Russians have already established a de facto no-fly zone. Putin, without any verbal threats or engaging in any name-calling, has decisively shifted the, the power balance and the world knows it. Washington's response consists of name-calling, bluster and more lies some of which is echoed by some of Washington's ever more doubtful vassals. The only effect is to demonstrate Washington's impotence. If Obama has any sense, he will dismiss from his government the neoconservative morons who've squandered Washington's power. And why did they do that, folks? You better ask who they are and why they were at it. Because there's been many, many talks on that over many, many years. It doesn't benefit the peoples in the U.S. or anywhere else for that matter. And he will focus instead on holding on to Europe by working with Russia to destroy rather than to sponsor the terrorism in the Middle East that's overwhelming Europe with refugees. And if Obama can't admit a mistake, the United States will continue to lose credibility and prestige around the world. Well, I think it's already lost it. You can't cover up what seems to be so illogical a system of aggression. Now, it's illogical the excuses you're given just don't make sense. You can't cover up forever. And then this article here by Patrick Buchanan says, War Party Targets Putin and Assad. October the 6th, 2015, it says, Having established a base on the Syrian coast, Vladimir Putin last week began airstrikes on ISIS and other rebel forces seeking to overthrow Bashar Assad. A long-time ally of Syria... Russia wants to preserve its toehold on the Mediterranean because they have a base there, you see, for their fleet. It's to help Assad repel the threat and keep the Islamic terrorists out of Damascus. Russia is also fearful that the fall of Assad would free up the Chechen terrorists in Syria to return to Russia, but obviously they'd start fighting there again. Uh, in intervening to save Assad, Putin is doing exactly what we are doing to save our imperiled allies in Baghdad and Kabul. Yet Putin's intervention has ignited an almost berserk reaction. John McCain, he's a new conservative, has called for uh, sending the Free Syrian Army surface-to-air missiles to bring down Russian planes. And McCain has got more interest than just American. This is not only could this lead to a U.S.-Russia clash, but U.S.-backed Syrian rebels have a record of transferring weapons to the al-Qaeda affiliate. The end result of McCain's initiative sending stingers to Syria could be airliners blown out of the sky across the Middle East. Hillary Clinton want and, and they bring them back home as well and start using them in the U.S. I mean, that's what's going to happen. Hillary Clinton wants the U.S. to create an no-fly zone and Friday's Wall Street Journal endorsed idea. And it says, uh, U.S.-Russia dogfights over Syria are just fine with the journal, the newspaper, the journal. Saturday's Washington Post seconded the motion, admonishing Obama, carve out safe zones, destroy the helicopter fleet Mr. Assad uses for his war crimes. He's trying to save the country. Has the war party thought this through? Establishing a no-fly zone over Syria, which means shooting down the Syrian fighter bombers and helicopters, is an act of war. But when did Congress uh, authorize the president to go to war with Syria? And that's true. When did I am? 
When last uh, Obama requested such authority in 2013, when chemical weapons were used, the American people rose uh, as one to say no to U.S. intervention. Congress backed away without even voting. And and by the way, they found that the chemical weapons were used by the so-called rebels. Who supplied them, eh? Unprovoked airstrikes on Syrian government forces would represent an unauthorized and unconstitutional American war. Does the party of the Constitution no longer care about the Constitution? Well, that's pretty evident, so that answers itself. Is the Republican Congress really willing to give Barack Obama a blank check to take us to war with Syria, should he choose to do so? And it goes on quite a bit, too, about the different... Assets that's been used by the U.S. and Syria and elsewhere, of course, and and so on and so on. It's quite interesting. I'll put this up tonight as well. And in this article too, Vladimir Putin spoke about the goals of the Russian operation in Syria as well about their relations with U.S. counterparts. This is an interview with uh, Sunday night shown on TV channel. Russia Putin commented on the recent terrorist attack in Turkey, calling it a blatant terrorist attack. The Russian president urged all countries to fight terrorism together. And it's, it's obvious. I mean, the U.S., if they really want to stop terrorism, would have stopped it long ago. Uh, they'd use, the, the ones that are creating terrorism across the Middle East are the so-called assets or trained forces that are supplied with arms, munitions, and obviously a lot of money. And you get this nonsense, too, about moderate terrorists, you know, and that, that's who we're supplies, moderate ones. See, the moderate, the moderate terrorists are ones that just cut your throat, whereas I guess the radical terrorists just to cut your head off. I suppose that's how they define it. You understand the rubbish we're told to believe, folks? And folk decide to just go along with it all. Complicity, isn't it? Aren't we all guilty? It's complicit when we ignore logic and lies. It truly is. Another article, too. Barack Obama Thursday publicly rescinded his previously declared proposal for withdrawing down the U.S. military force occupying Afghanistan and adopted a plan dictated by the Pentagon to keep the remaining 10,000 troops in place, likely beyond the end of his Presidency. So I remember when they went in there too, and I think Britain told them at the time, yeah, if you go in there or, or into Iraq afterwards, you, you'll be in there for at least 40 years. Now, the US, as the average taxpayer knows, uh, is, is pretty well broke. It's broke. And these wars cost a fortune. The only ones who are benefiting from it are the big international conglomerates boys, the big corporations. That's what America is now. People should just admit it. That's what America is. All you hear are the big corporate names every day on the news. From the electronic ones and computer ones and cell phone ones there and and yada 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 uh, to to the latest fighter planes that cost billions of dollars each. The stealth bombers. Never mind all the troops back and forth and the feeding of them and the clothing of them, their, their weapons and all the rest of it. It's a fortune. 
And they've destroyed country after country because that was, was the whole plan with Brzezinski. Years ago, Brzezinski and then Kissinger said the same thing. If it's up to them, they would destroy those countries so they could never get back on their feet as national countries. They would, and they would have the factions fighting each other forever. That's what you have in the countries they've gone through. And they've all been looted. And the corporations are in there sucking oil and everything else they can get out of it, as you well know. You all know that. So this article says President Barack Obama rescinded his previously declared proposals for drawing down the U.S. military forces. As you well aware, Obama said in his speech Thursday addressing himself to the American people, I do not support the idea of endless war. <laughs> Remember what I said earlier on that, that uh, Rumsfeld from the previous lot of uh, new conservatives uh, congratulated Obama for continuing on the whole agenda. That was in the mainstream papers too. And then this article here goes on to say this. Uh, why U.S. fears Putin's success in Syria. And this article is about the same thing again. Uh, the West condemning Russia for its intervention in Syria. Even though that the West, I mean, a lot of its citizens have said, why, are, why aren't we stopping these folks slaughtering and beheading folk in countries that were stable. Hmm? And if you scroll down this article too, it says, uh, this week the European Union foreign ministers amplified American claims that Russian airstrikes are targeting moderate rebels, you see, and called on Moscow to halt its operations unless they're specifically against the Islamic State and other UN-designated terror networks. The credibility of American and European claims about Russian airstrikes is, of course, highly questionable. But the point here is that it's becoming glaringly obviously that Washington and its allies want to make as much trouble for Russia's military intervention in Syria. Why is the West going out of its way to thwart Russia's intervention, to stop the, the slaughter of, 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 of a nation? It's been widely documented the notion of, a moderate, of moderate rebels in Syria is something of a fiction peddled by Western governments and their media to provide cover for Western support to foreign mercenaries fighting illegally in Syria uh, to topple the sovereign government. Russia's Sergei Lavrov last week dismissed the supposed moderate free Syrian army, much lionized by the West, as a phantom. This view was confirmed this week by Britain's former ambassador to Syria, Peter Ford, who said virtually all the, the opposition armed groups in Syria are Islamic uh, radicals, either ISIS, that's ISIS state, or interchangeable with ISIS. One reason why the West is gagging to see a Russian failure in Syria is simply because Putin's intervention is being so effective in destroying the terror networks, whether they be associated, associated with Islamic State or the plethora of Al-Qaeda-affiliated mercenaries. The latter include uh, brigades from the so-called Free Syrian Army, which share weapons and fighters with the Al-Qaeda franchises of al-Nusra, Arar al-Shams, and Jais al-Fatah, amongst others. If we assess the four-year conflict in Syria as being the result of a Western-backed covert war for regime change, which of course it is, then it follows that the foreign mercenary groups fighting in Syria are Western assets. 
We know this because the former head of the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, has candidly disclosed that the Obama administration made a willful decision to sponsor the extremist groups for the purpose of regime change. Well, so they admit it, and then they go and uh, try and deny it again, you see. And I'll put those links up for these statements and all tonight. So, as I say, it goes on and on, and we all know what's going on. At least the ones who are really awake, they know what's going on. And uh, I've gone through the, the whole thing before we even had these wars. Back in the 90s, I went through them. Again, going to our, cuttingthroughthemedics.com archives. And I, I went through the whole neocon agenda and the New American Century published in the 90s, 90s with a list of countries that the U.S. was going to take out and had its allies on board and, and won again in the Middle East as well. So it's just ongoing. We, we live through agendas. As I, I've always said the script, the, the, we live through scripts, basically. The future is scripted. And the big changes, including the financial collapses and so on, are scripted too way in advance because they all have... Outcomes, and it's the outcomes they want, the changes they cause in society. Plan changes for total control, which is a scientific domination by a scientific system, as Russell called it. And it said it would be it's a scientific dictatorship. And that, that means... All the professors that are on board with it, all, all the neuroscientists and psychologists and yada, yada, yada. I've gone through all this before years ago. It's all, it's all come out by their talk show hosts as well, going through the stuff all the time that I've yapped about. It's all coming out now. Bertrand Russell said, if we are to have a, a, a tyranny, like, like a total dominant tyranny across the whole world, he says, I'd prefer it to be a scientific one. He says it will be brutal, but at least it's scientific. So that you could be ordered and run properly from birth to death, you see. And that's what's happening. Massive corporations are, run, are already are taking over all your energy. Your governments have signed all the public assets away into privatization to these corporations. Your food, your water, electricity, everything that the public built up with their tax money has been sold off, folks, for pennies to them. And now they're going ramping their laws ahead to make you pay and pay and pay thousands of percentages more than you would have if you still owned them yourselves by the local communities. Remember, folks, you can help donate and keep me ticking over here at cuttingthroughmates.com. Go into the website and find out how to do it. From Hamish Michelle from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, where God's go with you.